in Colossians 3:23 through 24. Whatever you do, work for the Lord. Sorry. Whatever you do, work for the Lord. Whatever. Mm. Add it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Lord Christ you are serving. Go ahead and be seated. There is a, I've, it's several mentioned already this morning, there's a section that you know, people are gone. And there is, a, I was up at Labor Day camp last night, and there's more of our people there that would fit these sections. It's amazing how many of us, of our crew, is up at the Yellowstone Bible Camp this weekend. And I think that's tremendous, because there is, throughout the summer, somewhere in the order of 1,600 people participate and get spiritual renewal at the camp. And the church here is a huge part of, of making that happen. And so this being Labor Day weekend, I'll talk about where Labor Day came from. It's, uh, it's really neat that a whole lot of us can be up there to have some relaxing time and, and get the benefits of all the work that uh, we as a, as a church put in to make things go up there. And so that's a, a great blessing. And I know that I'm uh, hopefully have moved past jet lag. I spent a couple of weeks in Italy visiting Sylvia's family and spending some time with the church there. And I'll talk about some of those things that happened uh, in the next weeks that uh, happened um, when we were there. I'll give you just some a, a few things. Uh, the first week that we were there, my folks came over with us. And that was, that was really neat because since I had been there, uh, my dad... Years ago, in 1983, when he went to India with Mike Schrader, they stopped in Rome for a day and were there for a day. And that's the only time my dad's ever been there. My mom's never been there. But Italy is a big part of my life and has changed me a lot. And so with my folks going there, it was really neat for, for them to be able to see that. And then the second week, I spent with some with Sylvie's family and a whole lot of time with the church there. And the first Sunday I was there, I translated. Um, there was somebody posted, somebody that was a guest posted a picture on Facebook of that. And it is a lot easier for me if for tr- to translate into, and, and this is just generally speaking for everybody, it's a lot easier to translate into your native tongue than it is to translate from your native tongue into your second language. Do you see the difference, how hard that is? And so my, my dad preached, and at the little church there in Rome, and I translated into Italian. And Sylvia told me afterwards that I did a good job. And that means a lot to know my wife, because with her language, she's not going to be uh, easy to give praise if I didn't do a good job. So somewhere the Holy Spirit maybe stepped in there and, and good things happened. But it was an amazing uh, time. And there's some, if you don't know some of what's happening in Europe right now, but there's a bigger immigration coming into Europe than any time since World War II. Uh, and there's, there's people just flooding into Europe, trying to find a better life, trying to survive. And as a result, what's happened is some of these people have found their way into God's church there. And there is, like just to give you an example, uh, there's about a dozen Chinese ladies that are part of the church there now that don't really speak Italian, so they use some technology that whoever is speaking, things are translated into and it's not perfect, doesn't work perfectly, but they're translated into to Chinese so the ladies can, can see on, on notepads, uh, iPads, to see what is being said. But just to give you a perspective, these dozen ladies have a story that is similar in some form or fashion to this, is all of them became Christians at some point in time in China. 
and they shared their faith. And so the powers that be, the authorities in China, gave them a choice. Said, you become a Christian, you've shared your faith. That does not work here, so you've got a choice. You can either get on a plane and leave and go somewhere else, and we'll let you do that. Or you can stay in China, and what we're going to do is we're going to arrest you, and we're going to beat you, and we're going to torture you. And we're going to arrest your husband, and we're going to arrest your kids, and arrest your family members, and we're going to do the same to them. And so you've got a choice. You either get on a plane, you go somewhere. We don't care where you go. You go somewhere else. Or you can stay, and you will suffer greatly, and all the rest of your family who are not become Christians will suffer greatly as well. And so these ladies have gone on planes. They landed in Rome because Italy has a very generous religious persecution policy. They arrive, they walk out, and they say, I'm here because I'm persecuted religiously. What am I supposed to do? And so a bunch of these ladies have found their way into the church. Because they've looked around and said, we want to find something that's just a just simple teaching scripture, New Testament Christianity, and we want to be a part of that. And so it's amazing. I can't imagine. I, I cannot imagine being put in that, a situation like that. And especially sitting down face to face. And you noticed I didn't post pictures on Facebook of assembly there because they do not want their pictures anywhere on Facebook. It's scary to them. And, and so that's, that's what uh, I spent time with here the last few weeks. And I'll tell more of those stories as we go along as they uh, fit with what we're going to be looking at. This fall and this winter, we're going to start going through the book of Luke. And um, the, when I first got here uh, pushing uh, almost three years ago now, we went through the book of Mark the first uh, nine months or so that I was here. And I think it's important every few years to take one of the Gospels because that centers us in the teachings of Jesus and remember why are we here and why have we dedicated our lives to following Christ. And so that's what we're going to do. And Luke is, Luke is tremendous. It, it changes me every time I go through it. And I pray that as a church that as we go through the book of Luke, we see the mission of God in sharing our faith and that really transforms us as well. All right. So getting into what we're going to look at today, happy Labor Day. How many of you know the history of Labor Day, where it comes from? Yeah, things like that get lost in history. Some of you, some of you do. But where it comes from is back in the, the late 1800s. And remember, at this point in time, the Industrial Revolution has happened. People have started going from farms into working in factories and building buildings like this. And what's happened is there's, there's all these people that are hard workers. And they're the ones that are not making a lot of the money. The higher-ups are making a lot of the money. But they realized, wait a minute here, we're putting in all the hard work, putting our lives on the line in order to accomplish great stuff for our companies, for our country, for our, our nation, everything. And so what happened is there was a movement that, that went around. And remember, these people did not have health insurance. They didn't have retirement, paid vacation. Ha! Yeah, you're right. And so the workers came together and said, look, we want to be recognized for what we do and who we are, and we're working hard to make a whole lot of stuff happen here, and we want a day to remember us and to honor us. And it's got to be a work day. We can't do this on a Saturday or Sunday. You know, you can't, nope, management, you're not going to get off that easy. A Monday, the first Monday in September, we want that to honor us and to remember that all of us working together can accomplish great things. So what happened is legislation in New York got a hold of. It became a state holiday, and a few years later it became, in the very late 1800s, a national holiday. First Monday in September is a holiday that people get off work, that they remember that, hey, this is important what happens, that the, the common worker can accomplish a lot and does a lot. And so we still celebrate this uh, to this day. It's a, 
a holiday to honor workers. And it got me thinking this week is all the work that we do as people of God. Uh, does that matter? All the stuff? Some, because sometimes I feel, and, and probably all of us who work in God's kingdom feel this way, is that we work, we work, we work, we do this, we do this, we do that, whatever, and then all of a sudden it seems like everything I put in my effort into, maybe it wasn't worth it. Why on earth did I give so much in order to try to do something good for God? Let's look at some scriptures that talk about that a bit. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 2 to start with. Go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm... And this talks about the why. why. Why is it important to do something for God? Why is it important to work for God? Look at verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. God is, has given us this great gift of bringing us into his kingdom. Not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, we can't earn it by doing good things. We can't earn our, our way into God's kingdom. But look at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has created us to do good works. That's what we're here on this life for, on this earth for. There is a, let me tell you the story of the tale of two rifles. You know, as it's starting to get colder, hunting season's in the air. Any of you guys starting feeling that? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, hunting season, whatever that stuff is. Well, there is uh, two rifles that I, I know of these two rifles. I'll tell you two totally different stories. How many of you have been over to Jim and Edie Ward's house? Been over there? There's a rifle that sits on the wall that's beautiful. It's a lever action that's engraved, and it's gorgeous to look at. And whenever I go over to their house... I take a look at that rifle, and I stand there, and I stare at it, and I look at all the details and everything that's put together, and it's a beautiful showpiece. Uh, Jim, has that rifle ever been fired? Have you ever fired that rifle? No. It, it sits there. It looks. Hey, a few years ago, there was a, a farm and ranch store in Great Falls that had a sale, and they put their rifles on sale for 40% off, okay? Now, if you know guns, guns don't have much of a markup anyway. And so when they're 40% off, it's big. And it was going to be the day after Thanksgiving. I was going to be up in Libby, but there was a rifle that I had my eye on. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to be gone when these things go 40% off. And so I had a friend that was part of the church in Great Falls, stood in line for a half hour the day after Thanksgiving, and bought that rifle for me. And, and I paid him for it and that. And it's a rifle that has a stainless steel barrel, 300 short mag, plastic, con composite, synthetic stock. And when you look at that rifle, you don't think, man, this is a rifle that should be put up and displayed and looked at and never shot. That rifle is made to be beat up and torn through the brush. And so I got some scope rings, I put a scope on it, and that is... Um, what I designed it to be is a long-range elk rifle. That's what it's supposed to do, to shoot elk out there at several hundred yards across canyons. And I remember when I got that rifle up and, and, and working, and I shot it, and it's got scratches all over it now. And my kids ask me, what are you going to name the rifle? I don't know what to name it. I don't name my rifles. I have no idea. And I think one of them came up with calling it the Montana Cannon, and that's stuck. And so it's the Montana Cannon is that rifle. But that rifle is not beautiful, not in the way that that rifle that is on Jim Ward's wall is. It's totally different 
That rifle is made to work. It's made to hike. It's made to shoot. It's made to get dropped. It's made to, to survive the elements, whatever it may be. But that rifle is designed to be, to be working. And you look at what first, or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says there, is that we are created to do good works as God's people. We are created, in a sense, you could make the discussion that we're created to be showpieces for God. Okay, that's another sermon for another time. But we're created not to be something that sits on the wall and looks pretty, but something that is in the trenches doing good works for God. That's what we're created to do. Because the grace God has given us, part of our offering to God is doing good works in his name and making a difference for his kingdom. That's what we're created to do. And I found that in the phases of my life, at different places where I am not as active in doing work for God, those are also the times that I am the most unfulfilled and I have the most interior angst in my life because I'm not fulfilling God's purpose for me, to be a worker for him. So that's why, because God has created us to be people that work and labor for him. Let's look at another passage here that explains the what. What on earth am I supposed to do? Okay, I understand, Chris, you're telling me that I'm supposed to work for God. I understand the why, because God's created me. But I just don't know what. What am I supposed to do? Give, give me some ideas. Let's go to John chapter 6, where Jesus has asked this very question. Go ahead and look at John chapter 6. And I'll start reading in verse 25. It says, and this is right after Jesus walks on the water, and all of a sudden people are like, oh, man, we've got to find this guy. This guy's amazing. He fed us in the first part of chapter 6. He feeds all of us. He walks on water. This guy's amazing. We're going to chase this guy down because we've got some questions we're going to ask him. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The only reason you're following me is because I gave you something to eat. Can we relate to that? Yeah, I tend to follow people that give me stuff to eat as well. Okay, I get this. And that's what Jesus is saying. All right, let's, let's, not, let's not pretend how spiritual you are. You're just hungry. That's what's going on here. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So don't do work that's just going to you know, rot and, and go away. But do things and invest in things that are going to last for eternity. And so their natural question in verse 28 is, then they asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Give us a list. Tell us what this work is. We want to see this, okay? You give us the list. We'll do it. Jesus says in verse 29, he answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's not the answer that I would have expected of Jesus if I just read through. If I ask, what is the work that we're supposed to do? Give me a list. What am I supposed to do here? And Jesus says, the work that God wants for you is to believe in the one that he has sent. Okay, why did Jesus go that direction? And this is what I believe, this is what I understand, is that that God, whenever God has given us lists like the Ten Commandments, that's a great list, isn't it? Fantastic list. What happens is we have a tendency as people to look at that list and find ways to try to do the basic letter of the law and try to avoid anything else that might be inconvenient or or doesn't sit with me at any given time. You look at the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus does. You have heard that it was said, and he goes back to one of the teachings of the Ten Commandments and, and others in the Old Testament. He says, but I tell you, you've missed the heart issue here. You've missed what's what's most important. And so with these people, they're looking for a quick 
Okay, what are we supposed to do that's going to last forever? And Jesus starts with, what you're to do is to believe in me. Believe in the one who is sent. If you do that, then the specifics come later. But it starts with understanding that every good thing and every thing that, that endures beyond just, just what we see in this life is going to come from me. And so what I want first and foremost is your heart. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe in me. And you do that, we'll get to the specifics later and we'll talk about those as, as we go along. And so this is very important, I think, with Jesus. This is not a mistake. He didn't forget the list. But he's starting off with what? When we start to work for God, is starting with saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'm going to immerse myself in your teachings and who, what you're about. And by doing so, you're going to change me and place things in my path that you have called me to do. And I'm going to respond to that call, and I'm going to be excited about whatever you have for me. Because for us, faith in Jesus is doing God's work. That's where it all starts, right there. And that's Jesus isn't interested in the specifics as much as he is in our heart. And that's where he starts. Okay, let's continue on here. The next question is, okay, working for God. How? How am I supposed to do this? How, what type of attitude am I supposed to have? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And Jesus is just, or excuse me, Paul has just spent a whole lot of time talking about the resurrection of Jesus and how, yes, the resurrection did happen. No matter what your friends tell you, no matter what anybody else tells you, it happened and there's a whole lot of witnesses. And yes, it doesn't make sense. Yes, it defies our logic. But Jesus is God. That's the, he does that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So a couple things here. He says, give yourself fully to God's work. There's a lot of things that we can invest our, our lives in, isn't there? A whole lot of things that are vying for our attention. But for me, what I understand from this is there's a lot of things that I do in life, but the things that I should do best and give most of my heart to are the things that are going to last for eternity, the things that matter spiritually, which is investing relationships in relationships with people to help encourage them to follow Christ. Now, all the rest of the, that kind of stuff is, is details. It doesn't last forever. But giving myself fully to the things that are most important, the things that are spiritual, is, is going to be the best. And also, don't get discouraged and don't give up. I don't know how many times that uh, someone, and I felt this way, and I get it, I understand it, but we, we work and we try to do some things that matter, and something happens, whether it be someone else uh, says something that, uh, that, is, that they're just not thinking and they, they say something discouraging to us, or maybe uh, I don't get the results that I'm looking for and, and I try to do something for God, and my uh, response is, now, like, for example, let me give you just an example. Years ago at teen camp, uh, one of the young guys was going to do a devotional at the fire, at the campfire, pulled the teachers together and said, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to speak at the devotional tonight, and it's going to be powerful, and it's going to rock everybody's world, and be ready because we're going to have at least 15 baptisms tonight. I said, all right, buddy, rock on. <laughs> you know, and and he... Tried to get everybody ramped up, but where his heart was at was not where everybody else was at. And there was some good stuff that came out of it. But 
sometimes we can approach things that way and say, all right, I am going to do this work for God. I want these results. And when they don't happen the way we think we, they should, we can get discouraged there. But no matter what anybody else does, no matter what our unrealistic expectations might be, it's important to remember that none of that changes what Jesus did for you and me. And our job is to get to work and to not get discouraged. And that's what we see the teaching here is let God worry about the results. Let God worry about all that kind of stuff. But no matter what anybody else says, no matter what anybody else does, let's just get to work doing good stuff for God. Hey, here's some things that I found helpful. As hopefully in your mind right now, you're thinking, all right, what can I do for God? Where am I at? Maybe I need to, um, this, this year coming up, I need to be more deliberate about figuring out what I can do and doing work for God. So here's some questions to ask. Hey, working for God. Number one question that's important, and one of my professors, ministry professors, told me this several times, and it was, it's always stuck with me, is ministry flows out of what burdens you. Okay, so what that means is the things that weigh heavy on your heart, that you cannot seem to shake, that you cannot seem to let go, somewhere in that, usually, you decide to do something about it. And so things that burden us create action, and we go and do something about it. I know for myself, there is, an, and you that are part of the church here know that I am not one who was a little kid growing up thinking, oh, I want to be a minister. I want to stand in front of people. You know, I want to do that. That was not where my head was at. Not at all. But what I found for myself, and I didn't notice it at the time, but when I, I, looking back, I can see it now. But I remember being a park ranger and working the summers um, at Libby Dam while I was going through college. And I remember wrestling very deeply, looking around the room while we were our, our staff meetings. They're in my Smokey the Bear hat, the green outfit, all that kind of stuff. I remember looking around the room thinking, I don't think anybody else in this room knows God. And here I am, and what am I going to do about it? And I just felt this burn, and I felt this burden. And you know, I started inviting people to come, and all of us worked on Sundays, Sunday mornings at that point in time, but the church in Libya, time that they did in, in the homes, it was, it was really neat. And so I invited some of my coworkers, and several of them started showing up. So we'd get done on Wednesday, we'd get off of work, and we'd jump in the vehicle together and all show up in our park ranger outfits and come in and, and have dinner, and, and we would spend time with the, the church there. And, and I didn't know it, and I didn't realize it, but what that was is God was placing something in me, this burden that was looking around the room, and these people don't know God. Who is going to do something about it? Maybe I better do something about it. And it, what I noticed is that every job that I had afterwards, there was people that either I sat down with and had spiritual discussions, or, or there was people, almost every one didn't, but every other job that I had, there was people that I worked with became Christians in that process. At some point in time, I stopped kicking and said, All right, God, I'll do it. Fine. Here we go. Now I'm in. Because I realized that there was something burden that God had placed in me that turned into ministry and it turned into work. And so think about that for yourself. What are things that burden you? What are things that, that weigh heavily on you that, uh, that create ministry that you do? Um, Number two, what excites you? What is something you look out and think, man, this is exciting, this is wonderful, this is, this is great, I'm excited about the possibilities of what, 
what I can do for God in this area. And, and that's a way that sometimes God works as well. Also, what needs to be done? Sometimes it's just a matter of something needs to be done, and, and here I am, and I'm the only person that's willing to do it. Maybe that's, that's how it works sometimes. And that's a good question to ask. And what do the voices of faithful people say? If someone, um, if there's several people as you're wandering around the church and, and in the community of faith here, there's several people tell you at different times, boy, you're so encouraging. You do so many things that are very, very encouraging. What is that a good indicator of? That maybe even if you don't see it, you have an ability and a gift that God has given you to raise other people up around you by encouraging them and, and making their day better. Uh, you never know how, because oftentimes we don't see that giftedness within ourselves. Here's a few things to think about when we're talking about uh, spiritual gifts and, and working for God. Okay, number one, here's a danger just to be aware of, is that there is, I'm careful not to call things, and sometimes I'm sure I slip and I don't do this perfectly, is not to call things my ministry, because ministry is not mine, is something that I possess that is, that is mine. Ministry is ultimately whose? God's. It's God's ministry. I'm just a servant that does that. And so it's important for us to be careful that we don't get territorial about whatever my ministry is, but understand that, that I give an offering to God, other people give an offering to God, and we may overlap at times, and that's okay, and that's good. And also is one of the, the important aspects of serving God in different ways is that with, within a small group, oftentimes it's just whoever's available and whoever has the heart to do something does that. But as groups and churches like, like ours expand and, there, and there's growth and there's, there's more people coming to the table and becoming Christians, one of the things that's important is to consider not only who's available, who's willing, but number three, who is gifted in doing this. Because I know that for myself, okay, let me give you an example here. And I, uh, I've shared this. Um, their song leading is really intimidating to me. It scares me. And I'm really glad that we have a... A lot of men that are courageous and, 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 do, and lead us in, in songs well. But if somewhere along the line, and I could use that example or I could use the building maintenance. That's even better, okay? Here we are. Um, if I decided somewhere along the line that uh, I wanted to be very, very involved in building maintenance and I was going to take over, and I'm sure Rob and Lance would say, sure. Go for it, Chris. You know, and I was going to put tons of effort into that. You know what I would fi- what we'd find is that that would be really frustrating for me because I wouldn't be very good at it. And number two, it would be really frustrating for who? Everyone else because I wouldn't be good at it. And so that's something to consider when we we take on ministry. Is if I try to on that I am not gifted for. It's hard on me and it's hard on everybody else because things just don't go really well that way. So that's just something to consider. And, and there's ministries that you may take on at some point in time and you change and you do different at different times. And that's good. That's part of how God's kingdom changes and grows and expands into all sorts of different ways. And so it's important for us when we decide, I'm going to be a worker for God. God's created me to work in his kingdom, and I'm going to do some stuff for God. Pray for guidance, and then jump. And what that means is, if, there's, if you hear that there's teachers needed for our kids' classes, or there's life group leaders needed, or something like that, and there's part of you that says, no, uh-uh, mm, nope, 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 can't do, can't do, 
that hopefully there's a little voice down there deep that says, why don't you just try? And oftentimes, you know, maybe there's a sermon illustration that's used a lot. I don't know if that I have. But the number of times that Thomas Edison failed while he's trying to create the light bulb, it's, I don't remember what it is, but it's a huge number of failures. And if he would have quit during any of those times and said, man, this just didn't go well, I quit, who knows when, how long it would have taken for us to get light bulbs and to, to have the light that we have now. That is, uh, all of us, as we seek to labor for God, we're going to have moments where we, things don't go as we planned, things that we struggle with. But the big thing is, is that we keep getting up out of the dirt and say, I'm going to be one who is working for God, because I know that that's what God has designed me to be. And sometimes those, um, I would encourage all of us to have things that we, we pursue that are inside God's kingdom, among the people here, and are outside God's kingdom. Uh, for example, the neighborhood that you live in, the neighbors that you have, you have more influence spiritually with them than, sure, definitely more than I do. But who knows if God hasn't placed you right where you're at for such a time as this that your message and your example may bring them to change and uh, become part of God's kingdom, may bring them to a faith in God. And I would recommend that all of us be looking around all the time for wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, knowing that God somewhere is working somehow for me to be working in his kingdom, doing something good to bring, bring people to him. There is a, and we've got a choice, and as Christians, we're not called to sit on the wall and look pretty. We're called to be like the two rifles, the story of the two rifles. We're called to be people who are in the trenches working for God, knowing that that work, all of us working together with God's help, is going to do tremendous and amazing things in his kingdom. I'm excited for this fall. I know summer is one of my favorite times, and, and it's a time to relax, and there's great stuff that happens. But as we get into fall and, uh, and we, we come back together as a community, Let's all start praying together for who knows what types of things that God may be doing in us to, to be able to work and to make a difference in his kingdom. And let's, uh, let's uh, go on this journey together. Uh, if you'd like prayers to the church, you'd like to become a Christian, our elders are waiting in the back to talk with you and to pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.